It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Another edition of Make the Dough Rise is here. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Living Worth Wealth Advisors, based with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. Brian, great to be with you once again, sir. How are you? Doing great, Walter. How about you? Doing well and uh, looking forward to the conversation today as we jump back into some more talk on Medicare. You know, really enjoyed the last episode that we had with Brett Danko coming in and joining us in the Swiss cheese analogy, helping mm-hmm. us understand the moving parts of Medicare. But, uh, you know, that episode was all about the holes in Medicare and, and, and this, thus the Swiss cheese analogy. But there is still a uh, the title of today's show, The Real Hole in Medicare. So there's a little bit of an aspect of that conversation that I know you wanted to expand on a little bit more in its own episode. So we're going to tackle that today. Yeah, we talked about Medicare uh, in depth and obviously the big hole that Medicare for the most part does not provide. There is one or two slight examples or scenarios where Medicare covers a little bit of long-term care, but it's barely worth mentioning. So long-term care funding is really up to the individual. And we want to fill in that hole with a little more of a deep dive into different ways that you can approach or look at long-term care funding if that's not something you've already done. Well, and this was all kind of, uh, you know, in addition to wanting to do a follow-up to the previous episode, I understand this also kind of came out of the fact that you you were taking a quiz or a, a test one in which you did very well in, but also one that kind of brought up this uh, the, the, another misconception about Medicare that you wanted to make sure that we uh, address today. What was this quiz or test that you took? Yeah, it was one of the uh, financial planning colleges or uh, an organization like that. They, they had a retirement income quiz, and you will be happy to know I did make a 98% on the quiz and it was it was a legitimate Ooh, nice. uh, quiz and questions about different scenarios tax treatments and and whatnot but one question that i did get wrong it asked what is or who is in america the number one source of funding for long-term care and it was individuals individual long-term care coverage medicaid medicare and there, there may have been like one other option there, but I, I was wanting to pick Medicaid, but I thought, no, surely that's not the largest one. There's, there's a lot that falls on Medicaid. So I, I think I picked individuals and uh, self-funding. That's what I, I would have thought, yeah. Yeah, it, you would just think out of just sheer numbers, that, that might be the, the largest source. And uh, no, it turns out that Medicaid is the number one payor of long-term care benefits. Okay, so if you qualify for Medicaid, you're literally down to a point where you are out of assets. And if you are going to get on Medicaid as a long-term care funding source, you've lost control of the choice or locations that will actually take Medicaid long-term care patients. And I would like to point out in in a rather disturbing example of of what can go wrong with that. In North Carolina, there was a scenario where some very demented workers in a memory care facility were actually encouraging and egging on fights between patients in a memory care facility. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's awful, but they were recording and 
laughing and, and encouraging this. And so to be able to choose the type of facility where you're getting the care, the skill set, and the quality that you're looking for, you want to have resources where you can make the decision that, that's best for you, not get left to the default and have something disastrous happen. I remember that story and uh, seeing that headline and reading some of the details about it. It's just awful. Uh, my wife got her start out of out of college uh, when she was starting to go into nursing school and eventually into nursing school. She started as a, a CNA, a certified nursing assistant in a nursing home, in an assisted living type facility like this and dealt with a lot of patients who had dementia and Alzheimer's. And uh, it's just a, it's a really sad thing for anyone to go through. I'm sure we all know somebody who has been impacted by the disease. And gosh, you just, uh, I, I view the people who take care of those folks as saints because it mm-hmm. takes a lot of patience and yep. work and diligence and care. And this is just everything the opposite of that that happened at that that nursing facility. And, yeah, it, it was uh, abuse. just really painful. It, it, to it's see it's that. abuse, and that mm. there's there's no other way to to sugarcoat that at all. It's a crime and it's abuse. So we don't want to end up in that situation. I mean, obviously, for folks who do need to rely on Medicaid to provide that support, and then you're kind of laying out for us here. It's just a, a fact of life that those aren't going to necessarily be the nicest facilities. Not to say that well, they're and, all and, going but, to but have to, that to, abuse, but yeah. But but to be clear, and. and the overwhelming majority of facilities out there are doing great work, and, and I'm very happy that as a country, we have that type of a safety net for people that are in need. The last people you want living out on the streets are, are elderly people with memory issues, and we've, we've got enough issues with homelessness and poverty and, and problems in, in a very rich country, but it is nice as a citizen, as a taxpayer, to know that we've got that there and and that it is taking care of literally millions of of citizens and and fortunately the overwhelming majority of them are doing the best they can with with the resources they have yeah i I agree with you um but still it's an important thing to highlight that uh the wrong things you know do happen and we want to try to avoid that and try not to get into those situations so you see this as the the big remaining hole obviously in the whole conversation about medicare and the fact that it still doesn't have necessarily great solutions for long-term care i mean so if, if medicaid isn't the answer but it's the single biggest payer where does medicare enter into the equation and you know uh, who's affected by this in terms of our listeners and, and your typical clientele yeah and just to recap real briefly medicare for all practical purposes does not factor into this it under certain circumstances will cover a hundred days or so of skilled care but if you need unskilled care if you need it home care assisted living, all of those transitional things that you might build up to, Medicare is not going to come into play at all. So the biggest source or uh, understanding of long-term care insurance is what I call black hole funding long-term care. And this is like the typical fire insurance or crash insurance that you've got on your vehicle. You pay, you pay your premiums, you pay your premiums, you pay your premiums, and you hope you never need it. But Long-term care insurance, particularly the policies issued in maybe the 80s, late 70s, 80s, early 90s, they mispriced those policies. And part of it is due to the some of the th- same issues that are affecting Social Security and, and Medicare funding. Everybody's living longer. 
the quality of care that we can provide is improving. The sophistication of care that we can provide is actually keeping people alive longer. And therefore, the cost of care and the duration of care was substantially longer than what they had predicted. So the traditional long-term care funding where you pay the premium and it's use it or lose it. And and again, you, you hope you don't need it, but the cost of that type of insurance has skyrocketed. The people who have existing policies are losing some of the benefits like cost of living adjustments, or they're being hit with huge premium increases. So we're trying to talk today about alternatives to that traditional type of of long-term care funding. It's out there. It exists. If you already have it, you probably want to keep it, particularly if you've been paying for a long time. But it would be very good to audit that policy and make sure, what does it cover per day? How long does it last? What are the conditions to qualify for it? And then where you can potentially see a gap in that coverage that you bought years ago, uh, you can go ahead and fill in the gaps from there. So if you have it, don't don't abandon what you've got. But uh, if you are just entering into the long-term care funding uh, stage, that's probably not an option that you're going to want to spend a whole lot of time looking at. And it was the first time I'd heard of uh, black hole funding. It was uh, kind of a newer term for me to learn a little bit here. So thank well, you. Well, I, I kind of learned something new up. every day. <laughs> I, I made that one up myself. So well, I like that. I like made up uh, <laughs> made up terms or self coined terms. I think those are those are good and beneficial. Help explain well, no, but, things but I, that otherwise think, don't have a nifty way of explaining them. Right? Yeah, I, I think people look at it that way though. They they're very reluctant to commit thousands of dollars a year to something that they may never use uh, or hopefully never have to use it's not a hundred dollars a month it's it's hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month at least with like life insurance you have this uh, kind of expectation that all right the the premiums aren't changing on you right i mean it stays the same for as long as you have the policy essentially but to me it just seems like a really kind of a tough system to wrap your head around that as you get older and the need becomes more and more likely your expenses start increasing dramatically with the and then you end up not being able to afford the plan as you get closer to having the possible need for it to me, yep. that's where the system really kind of gets uh, messed up when it comes to long-term care policies. Yeah, it's a definite mess for the insurance companies and, and for the people who bought the policies. All right, so you mentioned alternatives. You want to take us in that direction? Yeah, so the well, first let me talk about who I think needs to really look at this the most. There's a group of people who have enough money. You know, they, they may have half a million to a couple million dollars and they're Social Security and their pension is providing for a very nice income and and lifestyle. But when you look at the potential for a long-term care or especially a prolonged long-term care scenario, there's not too much money. There's not so much money that you could self-fund it. And in particular, if you have a surviving spouse that is going to have to be reliant on the remaining assets that is the person who really needs to look at and, and think through how are we going to approach this? What are our options? And how can we make sure we've got enough resources so that the surviving spouse is not left with you know, a depleted asset base or maybe they've lost the equity in the home? You don't want to leave a, a, a surviving spouse without the resources for the rest of their life. 
And then, of course, obviously, this affects you. you. Like I said earlier, you want to have the choices. You want to have the care that you want, the level of care that you want, the providers that you want. And so it really behooves you to address this. And you know, maybe it's an unpleasant topic to talk about. That that happens a lot in this business. It's not all uh, dream trips and uh, Disney with the grandkids. You have to tackle these tough topics from time to time. And and sometimes these should be the first things you tackle before you go to those those fun things. Life's oh, always oh, like absolutely. that, though, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Take care of the non-fun stuff before you got to go do the fun stuff. Patch the problems, then figure out how much you've got. And I think we did an episode on funding the fun fund, so you can go back and listen to that one if you want to have something more optimistic. There you go. Absolutely. Well, we, we tend to bounce around here on the show. We'll have kind of a, a good, positive, fun episode every once in a while, and then we got to kind of bring it back to the real world. So it's a good balance. I like to mm-hmm. view it. So with that in mind of who it affects the most, if the traditional long-term care route isn't an option or isn't the most desirable solution, what are some other things that are on the table to think about? Well, we're all familiar with the concept of diversification. We do this with our portfolios by owning different investments, different investment categories, and we know that one or the other will be doing well, though they'll cycle in and out of favor, but we don't we don't necessarily know which one's going to do the best at any particular time, but we do know that over time that does smooth out the performance and, and volatility of a portfolio. We do this with our tax strategies by having different tax buckets that we put money into. And then that way we have the flexibility and the options and the control that we're looking for later in life. So I would approach long-term care funding in much the same way. What combination of funding sources can you put together so that it's not an all or none approach based on one particular product, insurance policy, Uh, We want to blend together some different things that give you the options because what I'm finding is by the time people need care, the type of care or the care option that they're choosing isn't necessarily a good match for a certain types of long-term care funding. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute, but you really want to look at breaking down and creating some scenarios. Okay. So Do I want to remain at home as long as possible? Do I want to transition to an assisted living facility? Have I picked out or identified a skilled or the actual long-term care facility if I need it? And uh, the other one then obviously for the more catastrophic long-term care is is the memory care type uh, facility. And those can be very prolonged and long-term. That said, most people who need long-term care, it usually lasts for a period of, of two to four years. So for most people, if you can corral or orchestrate a bucket or a block of funding that covers the most typical care terms, then you can have some level of confidence that you've at least dealt with the problem to the 80% level. If you're 80% confident that you've got Uh, long-term care funded, that may well be good enough because you have to remember you're not going to lose your social security benefit. You're not going to lose your pension. You're still going to have any annuities coming in. So if you move to a long-term care facility, you still have all those income sources. Then as a backup, there are products out there where they've taken life insurance policies 
and they've modified them slightly so that instead of providing a death benefit, they provide a living benefit in the form of long-term care. They've used all the laws and the rules affecting life insurance policies to create these, but this works well for the insurance companies because it limits their risk. So you can go in with a defined premium or defined amount of, of investment into this type of coverage, and the insurance company assures you a certain dollar amount of coverage. So to your point earlier about, you know, paying for life insurance, well, you know you're going to pay a certain premium and you know you're going to get a certain benefit from that. Well, these hybrid policies do the same thing where you put a certain amount of money in and if you want to cancel or surrender the policy, you may get 80% of your premium back. Well, that's kind of a nice option to have because the black hole funding would not have any recovery of premium paid. But if you need long-term care coverage, that provides the largest benefit, and it's a tax-free benefit. Death benefits and uh, long-term care benefits are, are a tax-free benefit. So this is a great way to get a pool of tax-free dollars to help fund a, a, a big expense. And then if you never use one of these hybrid policies, there's actually a death benefit for your heirs or your surviving spouse. I really, really like these because it gives you a tremendous amount of control. You know exactly what you have to put into it. You know what is going to be available so you can plan for the the cash flow from the policy if you need it. And fortunately, if you never use it, you get a little bit of a step up of, of in the form of a death benefit to your survivors or heirs. So to me, that is the most flexible and most satisfying of the of the options out there because you know that if you don't need it, if you need it, or if you never use it, you still have some options that allow you to get the maximum benefit out of it. Nice to have those different uh, options available to you. And I like your thought process here too of it doesn't have to be this starting from zero mentality, which I think often people approach it with, right? I mean, oh my gosh, look at how expensive this is going to be. But you almost mentally go back to zero and feel like whatever this coverage that you're going to get has to fill that entire gap. And we kind of forget we've still got these other sources of income coming through. So the problem is still solvable. It doesn't become this unsolvable issue. Well, and, and if self-funding is the option you can that, that you want to go with, that's certainly an option. If, you, if you've got the resources, you've got equity in your house, you've got you know, the different pensions and Social Security, you can do the math and figure out, hey, I've, I've got enough money. I don't have to do anything. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to self-fund. But too many people make that the default option because they neglect to actually talk about it. You know, they've, they've chosen self-funding by not choosing to discuss this. And if you've got you know, enough money, that's certainly a fine alternative, but there are some tax advantages and, and some survivor advantages to putting a sensible amount of long-term care coverage in place. And the key is, is make a conscious decision. I'm going to self-fund it, check, move on, and you, don't, you know that you're going to address this expense yourself. If you want to add some care, if you want to patch it in with some other uh, coverages, 
then at least you've gone through and done the math, you've done the exercise, and know how long that you can you know, maintain some care. And real quick, let me outline for you some of the different care options, because I mentioned earlier home care, and there can be a period where you know maybe you don't qualify for or, or necessarily need a residential community. You would like to stay in your own home as long as possible. Well, some of these, you know, the self-funding or the uh, hybrid policies, a lot of them actually allow for skilled and non-skilled in-home care. So as a stepping stone before you have to move to another facility or make a, a major transition, you may actually be able to remain at home a lot longer by you know, having the right types of, of coverage that will cover uh, both skilled and unskilled help. You need somebody to help come in and wash the dishes. You need somebody to come do yard work for you. These are all things that could be covered under some policies. And I, I don't want to get too specific on it because obviously it, this stuff changes. It varies by state, but you know, definitely wor- something worth considering. Another option that has been coming up quite a bit are these continuing care retirement communities. And this is an interesting option because it provides you a place to move into. They have active living while you're you know, first arriving and maybe don't need any care. You just want a, an active community to move to and, and retire to. But then on site, they have progressive levels of help so that if you need assisted living, if you need long-term care, if you need memory care, you don't have to make a move to a new facility. But the funding for these programs is typically a large upfront sum. So now compare and contrast a little bit of in-home care from cash flow and and a long-term care policy versus maybe several hundred thousand dollars of buy-in upfront for a facility that you want to stay in for, you know, really for the rest of your, of your life. Those are two very, very different funding scenarios. So you want to make sure that whatever you put in place, you have the flexibility to make those decisions when the time comes. What makes sense today may not make sense tomorrow. So it's best to run these different scenarios, know what the cash flow is going to look like for those different scenarios, and then make sure you've got the liquidity when you actually need it. As I mentioned before, if if you still have your incomes, again, Social Security, pensions, annuities, that gives you a certain amount of cash flow. If you are moving to a care facility, well, you may be selling your home so that don't forget the equity in your home is going to become available to potentially fund long-term care. So you don't have to, again, hit that 100% number. I have found, just as a rule of thumb, somewhere between 50 and 70% of the cost for you know maybe five or six years gives people enough peace of mind that they know that they're going to have the the funding in place that when combined with their income, with their portfolio, with the equity in their house, they're going to have enough to stay in a long-term assisted living or, or even memory care location if they need it. Now, one final thing that I'm going to throw out as a long-term care funding strategy, and and this isn't specifically a long-term care funding strategy per se, But what I looked at was, how do you really cover a catastrophic long-term care scenario and protect a surviving spouse? Well, if you have equity in your home, 
So let's let's say that today you have a um, you know three hundred thousand dollar home. How many people have seen Magnum PI advertising reverse mortgages on television ad nauseum? <laughs> I think it was the Fonz for a while. Henry Winkler right. was advertising these, and now and now Tom Selleck is the spokesperson for reverse mortgages. Well, I'm not advocating reverse mortgages, but there's a little known option that you have in the reverse space called a reverse line of credit. And if you set up a reverse line of credit on your existing home, the amount that you can borrow from your home, not not borrowing it today, just you're just setting this up for potential use in the future. Well, that amount would be about half of the value of your home. So if you had a $300,000 house, you could set up a reverse line of credit. And if you wanted to, you could go borrow $150,000 off of your house. It takes a couple of years to, to actually hit that number, but for our purposes, this works. But if you set this reverse line of credit up early, it grows. Much like the mortgage balance would grow if you didn't pay the interest on it, this line of credit, this amount of uh, that you can borrow, grows over time. So if you set this up early in 10 or 15 or 20 years when you actually need the care, that line of credit has grown to a point where you could have you know three or four hundred thousand dollars available as a line of credit from your home. But here's the beauty of it: you can go write a check. You are in control. You don't have to meet any preconditions. It literally puts you in charge of the funds. But if you completely run up that line of credit and max it out to care for one spouse, the surviving spouse is able to remain in the house without having to pay off the line of credit. It is a fantastic way to provide some liquidity in a situation where you've got a surviving spouse that needs the asset. So you, if you can't use the equity in the house by selling it, this gives you a way to access the equity in your house, but being able to remain in that house for the survivor's lifetime. Uh, it's a clever strategy that I've talked to a couple of other uh, certified financial planners, and we were, we were trying to come up with scenarios for catastrophic long-term care funding, given the fact that a lot of these black hole funding policies were were not living up to expectations or they were not affordable. And again, if you get creative and you use some hybrid policies, reverse line of credit to, so that you know you have access to the equity in your home, you can suddenly begin to put together a very good backstop in case you, you need long-term care. And then a final one, and again, this all varies by state. Okay, so uh, like the probate issue, you need to check with uh, your particular state, but I have been able to find some annuities that have a long-term care rider that allows you to accelerate or as much as double the income that you're getting from the annuity if you need long-term care. So this is a great way to get a, a, an income floor or an income base available to you. But then if you qualify for long-term care, they increase the payment so that you have additional cash flow right there when you most need it. Again, I'm, I'm being 
Very general here. These may or may not apply to you. You may or may not qualify for these different types of coverages. But if you do or you don't, or if one of them works and the other one doesn't, you have a lot more options to put some things together to cover long-term care that are different than the black hole funding that we referenced at, at first, that don't compromise the longevity and lifestyle of a surviving spouse, and give you the flexibility and give you the control to choose the place that you want to be, get the kind of care that you want, when you want it, where you want it, and not jeopardize your lifestyle. It's neat to see these different creative solutions that are out there. I would venture to guess real quick, Brian, a lot of people don't know of these when they meet with you for the first time. Is this kind of news to a lot of folks who have sort of resigned themselves to the fact that for long-term care, they're going to have to either self-insure or just sort of the ostrich mentality of stick your head in the sand and it won't happen to us, hopefully? Well, we've come up with a quadrant system. Uh, We call it the four Ps, and there's the personal quadrant the portfolio quadrant, the programs quadrant, and the protections quadrant. And maybe we can get a uh, link to this graphic map in the show notes. But this is in the protections category. It's the last thing that we'll deal with once we've worked through goals and objectives and plans and and, and all the personal aspects of your life, then we integrate that with and make the portfolio structured to accomplish those. Then we help deal with all of the programs, Medicare, Social Security, estate planning, required minimum distributions. There's a whole set of governmental programs that you're going to participate in. And then the protections, we usually say this to one of the last topics because People want to know that they've got enough, that they can, when they can retire, when they can uh, do the things that they have planned. And this gets to be a difficult subject in that it's it's kind of the disaster planning. It's the worst case scenario. And uh, we, we don't neglect it, but we definitely save it for a little bit later in the process. But if you want to have a conversation just around long-term care and what are my options, or if I've mentioned something that... Hey, I, that sounds interesting, but I'd like to know more about that. Uh, happy to take calls and, and answer questions about any of them. And as always, a place you can go is MakeTheDoughRise.com. That's MakeTheDoughRise.com. That's where you can listen to past episodes of the show, find all the subscription links to some of the most popular podcasting apps out there in case you like listening on your favorite device or app. You can schedule a 15-minute call with Brian there from the website as well. It's all at MakeTheDoughRise.com. And you can also uh, schedule a 15-minute call by dialing in directly at 706 451 9800 the old-fashioned telephone still works, 706-451-9800, the way to get in touch there. And we'll put a link in the description of today's show for how you can get in touch uh, via those resources as well. Brian, this is a helpful topic to address. Uh, glad that we got to fill that real hole in Medicare on today's show as a nice follow-up to that previous episode with Brett Danko. And uh, look forward to our next conversation here on the show as we reach the end of 2019 and turn the page to 2020. We're going to have a couple of episodes coming up where we're kind of going to do what? Take a look back at the 2010s, the the last decade, lessons learned, and turn the page and look forward to 2020. Very good, uh, Walter. Happy to help, and I hope this was helpful without being too confusing. There's there's, there's a lot of choices out there, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll be looking forward to a great decade and 
make sure everybody's got their optimism plan and their backup plan, plan B in place to make sure they can, they can enjoy it. Love it. Well, we'll look forward to joining you on the next episode for Brian Doe. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you soon right back here on Make the Doe Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.